Support for the following podcast comes from Mental Health Speakers Lab, an online course and coaching program for clinicians that will establish you as a speaker and industry expert. Walk away with clarity of voice, an effective message, and a valuable call to action to shift your one-on-one practice to global impact through digital workshops. Go to mentalhealthspeakerslab.com to register for the upcoming course opening. I think sometimes we can lump caregiving into this idea that we can't confront or we have no strength or there isn't like um, sort of like tough love involved, but the best caregiving is tough and sometimes calls people up more than just helps them out. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out, so listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, Katie Cole is talking all about developing female leaders and how after being in local church leadership for over 20 years and often being the only female in the room, she understands the unique challenges that female leaders face and the skills to begin a healthy dialogue and release the potential of women in your church. And make sure you stick around for a bonus question at the end that speaks directly to the unique challenges that women are facing as a result of the pandemic. I am part of the Gen X generation. We are a group of now 55 to 40 year olds who had a childhood that was for the most part without computers and certainly no cell phones. And thank you, Jesus, for that. But we are also a generation that grew up with few women leadership role models. Apart from the independent single mom of Angela on Who's the Boss and lawyer Claire Huxtable from The Cosby Show, women in the media held for the most part traditional roles and positions. And not unlike other generations, we grew up asking a lot of questions and it was all coming out in our teenage angst and questionable fashion practices of the 80s and 90s, which for some strange reason is now making a comeback. Our generation saw huge changes in technology And recently, after a few decades of female Gen Xers working, we are stepping into leadership roles at an unprecedented rate. It's true that males still dominate leadership positions, but I believe now more than ever, and to quote the play Hamilton, are in the room where it happens. Ministry is no different. And despite your theological view of women in ministry, there are more women in leadership roles within missions and local churches and parachurch organizations than ever before. This can be a massive shift for everyone, the organization and policies, procedures, and those unwritten expectations. Women who are wrestling with confidence and identity conflicts and men who are learning to listen and collaborate in new ways. This can be challenging. However, I think we can all agree that women have contributed much to the ministry of the church throughout history. God's perfect plan included women, and he has gifted many with leadership skills. Katie Cole is director at Leadership Network, a founding member of the Women's Executive Pastor Network and author of best-selling book, Developing Female Leaders, and her newest book, Finding Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days. She's looked to as a leading coach and consultant for high-performing teams and kingdom-minded organizations. 
but Katie says she wasn't born a leader, but instead found her footing in high school after discovering groups and committees that called upon her organization and communication skills. Katie grew up in Montana, where her parents divorced when she was young, which gave her two very different perspectives on life, a dad who was in the military and traveled a lot. He gave her a sneak peek of the higher-end lifestyle and was known to have a business mindset, but had really no connection to a close community. And then a mom who was an educator and creative, offering a close-knit community and down-home roots. But like most ambitious girls growing up in a conservative church, there seemed limited options for education and careers. For me, I looked to the helping profession of social work. And for Katie, it was nursing. You know, for a lot of us, if we grew up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, there, we didn't talk a lot about women's roles or gender bias um, or even just uh talk about those things at all. We just kind of had a lot of assumptions. And so, you know, um, but our culture overall kind of had rules, especially in Christian environments of what was an acceptable route for especially a young female um, kind of growing up into adulthood and what wasn't. And I think for me, some of the biases I brought in was like, I was just sort of kind of trying to keep busy till I had a family. (laughs) And so, you know, like what's a helpful career until all this other stuff like really takes off or until my life really begins with my family. Um, and you know, I just didn't, I, and I didn't know I was thinking that. And I think that's one of the most powerful things of just even raising the topic, because I think actually, you know, being a mom is one of my favorite things. And I would give up almost everything else if I felt like it would help me be better at that. And so it doesn't take away that calling, but I think just going into it knowingly that it's not one or the other, that we all have multiple callings on our life and our career or vocation, or just even areas of interest um, are in addition to many of the other callings we have. It doesn't have to all be in one basket. And I think that's really freeing. I think, especially now my son, I have one son, he's about to graduate from high school and go to college. And so I'm about to be an empty nester. And I'm so grateful the Lord demanded of me to stay working. (laughs) It is not what I wanted. I would not have chosen it. And perhaps this is your experience too. You know, our best efforts, you know, really our assumptions about ourselves and our best efforts to make good decisions, God is still going to lead us where he wants us to go. And so uh, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm especially grateful now on the other side of it to be like, wow, I'm not starting from zero. I'm kind of starting over in a lot of ways, but I'm not starting from zero. I'm, I'm excited to continue the trajectory in this route. And I'm excited to continue my parenting in a new dimension also. Who would have thought looking back, right, that during those hectic times of daycare or babysitting and trying to balance and juggle everything, it's very overwhelming when you're in the thick of that. I Mm -hmm. I always called it the trenches. Mm -hmm. Like it's those early 30s, kids, career, debt, life, and you feel like you're in the trenches, just one foot in front of each other. You are in the trenches. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Looking back now from your position of almost an empty nester saying, what a blessing has come from that or what, what amazing, how it has prepared you for what God has called you for now. Yeah. And just, I think an encouragement to anyone out there who sort of finds themselves still in the trenches. And I would say it's not just motherhood. I think caring for our parents, having gone through that three, four times now, um, that also is one of those areas. Um, my husband has been chronically ill for a long time. That's another area. And so wherever we find sort of that pressure or those multiple demands that, 
uh, can cause us maybe to question our priorities or where we're investing ourselves or how do I do all of this and be even decent at all of it? I gave up being good at it long ago. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, you know, the Lord is so trustworthy in directing our path and he does see things bigger and better than we do. And some actually, when I look back, oftentimes the limitations I was the most frustrated by turned out to be sort of those guardrails that kept me on the path that he was actually taking me on. So um, like I'm sure we'll talk about, I, I've written a couple books. I've been able to speak and teach a lot. And if I hadn't um, been limited by finances or limited by time or forced to move to a certain part of the country um, for health reasons, I, I would not have been able to do all those things mm. that I've been able to do in the last few years. And when I was in the trenches, it just all felt like it was a flurry of craziness and I had no idea what I was doing. And I felt like I was making mistakes and I had no perspective. And I, I just didn't, you know, I felt like I was barely hanging on, but now I can look back and be like, Oh, those were actually loving guardrails. And I wish I would have just not fought them quite as hard. Like, I think we need to stand up and advocate for ourselves and do what we think is right. But when something won't budge, no matter what you do, sometimes we can just trust that that's from the Lord um, as a guardrail, keeping us on the right path. Mm, so good. You've graduated from nursing school and you begin a career in, in the field of nursing. Tell me about that experience. Well, I think, uh, you know, the transition from education to application and starting your career is a big one. Uh, once again, I felt I probably felt on top of it at the time. I look back now and I think you were so clueless. You had no idea what you were doing. Uh, but for me, again, it was those loving guardrails. I ended up moving to South Florida because I was on scholarship uh, for college. And so I was living in a whole new part of the country. Uh, didn't didn't know anyone except the woman who hired me. Uh, but God's just so good at bringing sort of the right people at the right time. And uh, part of what happened is I got involved in a local church that was really fantastic. It was pretty much the opposite of the church I grew up in. They did things like really wanted the music to be, you know, good. <laughs> we, like the church I grew up in, anyone who wanted to sing could sing. And my mom, bless her heart, played piano for all of them, uh, including me. Like I should not be singing. And I did sing a few solos there at that church, you know, and I was grateful for it. But this was a church that was really interested in being uh, helpful to people, really practical. We had small groups, which I had never really thought of the kind of the body life care of a small group before I was given a lot of platform to lead and sort of find my voice and organize. We had back in, it was back in the day. So we had things like drama teams and outreaches and things that were really helpful. And, uh, so I really grew a lot in leadership and in that experience, uh, worked with a woman who was a vice president at a college here in town, a Christian college. And she recruited me to come and take over the health and wellness center. Uh, and so I moved from hospital nursing where I was in mental health was my specialty, uh, and then moved to a university where I worked with young adults and I started a counseling center. So I kept my mental health piece going, but ran the health clinic, eventually got promoted and took over residential life and became Dean of students there. And so that kind of trajectory for me has always been about trying to be really faithful in the job God's given me. I never really had a big vision for my career. Again, I think I was really limited because I, I never really imagined myself having a 40 or 50 year career. Like that's not something I grew up that women did or ever talked about or thought about. And so uh, I just sort of took the job that was given to me 
try to do a good job. And then that would lead to promotions or opportunities or invitations to be a part of more things. And so uh, that's how I really started getting into more leadership, more management roles. The deanship was, of course, a very large leadership role on a campus like that. I picked up a master's degree while I was at the university uh, in human resource development, which is all about uh, organizational leadership and adult training and education, training and development. And so that whole concept, which is really a a very natural fit for me, is how do we help people um, maximize who they are? How do we, you know, figure out our organizational goals and help people train or envision what that can be? How do we create communities in our workplaces? How do we become learning organizations? Uh, To me, it was really living out the role of the church body, um, but doing it in organizational ways. And then, of course, a lot of crossover into my church ministry. And eventually I got recruited to work at my church. It was a really fast growing church at the time. They were doubling in size every year. And so at about 3000, they asked me if I would join the staff and help them sort of create some internal processes and organizations. I took over their um, weekend production, like uh, creative arts production, and uh, helped sort of drive that forward and scale their growth. And I was on staff there for almost 20 years. I'm curious if caregiving came naturally to you or if the gender roles or expectations into nursing and then into education was, um, you know, just kind of came by happenstance. Yeah, I think I am wired for caregiving. If you're an Enneagram person, I think I'm an Enneagram too. I I keep, I'm not, I'm not totally sure yet. Because a two uh, in unhealth goes to an eight. I definitely have some eight qualities. So I'm never quite sure if I'm a two who's an unhealthy, like unhealthy goes to eight, or if I'm an eight who in health goes to a two, but (laughs) I'm some combination of those two things. And so um, I've always been a caretaker, nurturer, developer role. I would say probably in my career, it orients more towards development, Mm -hmm. leadership development, people development, developmental systems, growth, and strategy. Those are all really, in my mind, caretaking roles because it's how you nurture and grow something in my personal life. Definitely. Um, with my family, I'm a caretaker. I think that's where my nursing comes in. So it's probably nature and nurture, um, combined together. I think even as I've done more research and writing and speaking on female leadership development, I think there are some, as I alluded to earlier in this conversation, some assumptions I made about options for myself that I probably could have brought my caretaking development skill sets into some industries that weren't quite so easily aligned. Um, but uh, I love what I do and and it definitely has been a a helpful journey to have those things a little closer. But like, I always laugh at myself. I remember in college tutoring all my friends who were pre-med majors. I was the only nursing student I knew in my group of friends. Everyone else was going to medical school and I would tutor them in their A&P classes and their biochem classes. And I, it never dawned on me all four years why I wasn't going to medical school. It just, it never dawned on me and no one's, no one asked either. And so I look back on that now and I think, oh, that's the gender role bias that I had for myself. It's not about caretaking. Physicians are wonderful caretakers. You know, there's great leadership development in those roles. But for some reason, for me, the nursing route was the way I should go. Medical school just seemed not appropriate or out of time. I don't even think I thought about it. It wasn't even on my radar of possibilities. Mm. I love that you combine uh, caregiving and leadership because those are two qualities or two skills that aren't 
always put together. Caregiving, you think of the um, empathetic, compassionate, you know, wanting to uh, support, you know, those around them. And then leadership, it, it feels um, a little bit more distant, a little bit more of a power dynamic. So that's really interesting that you paired those together. Well, leadership to me is really rooted in Jesus's example of leadership, which is being a servant, right? And when I think of caregiving, that's what I think of. Um, But I probably have a nursing view of caregiving. So nurses are different maybe than like, um, I don't know, like an early childhood, you know, director or something, which is like helping little kids feel better. Like a nurse is like, I care about you. So get ready. I'm about to give you a shot, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's going to hurt, but Mm -hmm. suck it up. You're going to be fine. Or I'm going to rip the bandaid off, or I'm going to give you stitches or take this awful tasting medicine because I'm taking care of you. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can lump caregiving into this idea that we can't confront or we have no strength or there isn't like, um, sort of like tough love involved, but the best caregiving is tough and sometimes calls people up more than just helps them out. Love it. So you spent time in the education system and then you mentioned that you moved into the church world. I want to shift our conversation to look at leadership in church. And and that's what you wrote about in your book. Can you tell me why you wrote this book or why now? Why you've been in leadership for 20 years? What, what propelled you to write this book now? Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, surprising even to me, to be really honest, I have never really been uh, someone who waves the banner of female leadership. I oftentimes, especially in the church world, felt like I didn't really fit into the women's groups, to be really honest. Um, I have a, you know, a little different personality. I, you know, show up to events and I'm not wearing the right colors because I forgot to match the invitation. I just don't think about these things. And I love that other women do. I I just don't. I'm and so I back laughter because that is 100% <laughs> me. I was like, oh, there was a baby shower. We were supposed to wear something. Oh, I'm sorry. And I show up with like store-bought snacks. I'm never homemade. Yes. I just, I feel like I'm always breaking the women rules and I don't even know what they are and no one can really explain it to me. And so I'd rather just like go do my thing, I guess. So, um, so I just didn't really feel qualified. And I know so many women who feel called to, to women and called to women leaders. And I'm like, I, I don't feel called just to that. I feel called to local church. I feel called to leadership development. Um, but it's never really been like a big, um, a big stake in the ground or a banner that I'm waving. And so, uh, when I was serving in leadership, particularly as an executive director, I oversaw all of our multi-site campuses and we were a very large, fast growing church. We were kind of like on all the lists that you look at. And so I was in a room with a lot of executive pastors and a lot of networking things. And they were, I mean, almost all men, especially for the first three or four years, it was all guys and me. Um, I definitely knew that that was not the place to talk about other women. Like, where are all the other girls like that? You know, those are the ways you discredit yourself when you're the lone female leader. And so um, so it was not only not on my radar, it was actually, you know, for me, strategic to not make this an issue that was um, a forerunner for me. And I didn't feel called to it. Um, so when I transitioned out of my full time staff role and started doing consulting with churches and working with Leadership Network, I was working with a lot of multi-site churches, a lot of leadership development systems. And every time I would speak at a conference or do a networking meeting or, you know, host a cohort of leaders, I always had people asking me, 
advice on what to do with these female leaders on their team, or they had some young interns that were women and what could they do? Or I've got these women who are in their thirties and they're really rock stars and, but they won't take a promotion or they won't do this. And, and so I'd have these conversations and, and most of the time, you know, these were just great hearted guys. Uh, trying to make a way for women that they saw great godly talent and ability in and anointing. And I would give them some advice. I'd ask them what they were doing. And inevitably they were doing just these really bad moves, you know, that they felt really good about. And I was just like, oh, that probably didn't feel good to her. I, I know your heart is right, but you're missing it. So things like, you know, there's this gal, she's got her master's degree. We recruited her on staff. She's now my executive assistant. So she's in all the meetings and da 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 da. And I'm just like, oh, you were so close. You know, that was so close, but that was such not the right move. And so uh, I just started to realize we had a lot of really well-intentioned churches and from a variety of theologies, by the way, like really conservative theologies working on this, really progressive theologies working on it. You know, there were good examples in both camps, bad examples in both camps. And so I was like, there's got to be a better way. Like we, I feel like people are just guessing. And so I spent a little time doing some research to try and help these churches and these people who were asking me, I I wanted to be able to explain it in a way that honored their efforts, but educated them about how to do a better job. And I was stumbling over my own words, trying to be like, that's dumb. You know, I don't want to say that, but I wasn't quite sure exactly what to tell them. Like it, it was so intuitive to me and sort of like, um, it seemed so obvious. I was having a hard time translating it to someone who didn't get it, if that makes sense. Totally makes and sense. So, yeah. So I did this big research project. And as I was doing it, I was like, there's a lot of great stuff out here. And things, I mean, I'm living in the church leadership space and I don't hear really anyone talking about this kind of stuff, the kind of research I was looking at. And so I ended up emailing a friend uh, at Leadership Network, a guy that I worked for, and he also worked with our publishing arm of that organization. I was like, hey, do you think there's a book idea in this? I've got all this great research. Would the publisher ever entertain like a book proposal from me? And I'd wanted to write a book for a long time. I tried it a few times. And if you've ever written a book proposal, it is a major piece of work. Like it's like, it is like a dissertation. And then they say no. So I'm like, I've done that a couple of times. I don't want to do that again. If there's no, if they're not interested, like if they're interested, I'm happy to do the work. And so, uh, he wrote me back and said, I'm meeting with them next week. Let me see what they say. I'll run it by them. Two weeks later, I had a zoom call with the editor and he gave me a contract verbally over the zoom call. And he's like, can you write it in five months? I'm like, yes, I can. I have no idea if I can. I find out now people take years to write books. <laughs> So I just said yes. And so that's how Developing Female Leaders was born, um, kind of on a wing and a prayer. But for me, it's like, it's such a great story. It's it's encouraging to myself because it was something I wanted to do. I would love to write a book. I am passionate about helping churches do their thing. I stumbled into this weird conversation that felt totally out of my depth. All I wanted to do was try and help people because I was a little embarrassed about my own ability to do it. The one initiative I did was email a friend to be like, hey, do you think there might be something here? Just give me some feedback. And God just opened these doors. And then it ended up, I mean, honestly, it took off. I was like, if I can just sell a hundred, my mom will buy 50. But if I could just sell a hundred bucks, it will be worth all this work. And so, uh, you know, and things just kind of took off from there. And I, I find it so encouraging because I feel like so many of us um, wonder if God's going to do something and we work and we do our piece and we have to, but God's timing. And when he's ready to sort of unlock all that 
energy and work and potential that we've invested, he decides the timing. It's really not up to us. He wants us active. He wants us engaged. He wants us ready, but he, he doesn't hold us responsible for it. He carries the responsibility. And so anyway, just a word out to anybody out there who's still got things they wish would happen or wondering if anything will happen, or you just want to help serve people like God's going to do what he wants to do with it. And that stuff is really up to him. I think that's so good because many people who are in leadership, and I can speak from my experience, is that I have lots of ideas and I have lots of passions. And and it's one of those, okay, I want to do that, but I, I need to focus on what's right in front of me and, and take that next step that is mm-hmm. right in front of me because I don't know where it will lead. So that's really exciting. That's exactly right. I always say I'm a big strategic planner. I do life plans with people. I do strategic planning with organizations. And I always say when it comes to your own life, you really, the only view we have for strategy is in the rear view mirror. All we can do is look backwards and be like, look at what God did. I had no idea who was doing that. I had no idea that was going to happen. I had no idea. Again, those kind of guardrails that you're like, I was so frustrated by it, but I see how he's worked it in this way. And so it is the older you get, the more of those stories you have and the more encouraging it is to your faith. Absolutely. So this episode is airing in October uh, and that's Pastor Appreciation Month. And I wanted to have you on to talk about the role of female leaders, regardless of the of their theology and how churches can empower female leaders and empower their voice and really value the uniqueness that they bring as part, not all or not dominant, but part of the conversation. So what can churches do to empower female voices, regardless of their theology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's important to talk about the theological piece because I think for many of us, this can be a really worrisome topic because as believers, we know God's word is true. We all want to stay true to it. And I just like to remind everyone that really, when it comes to your theology about women, especially women as leaders, it, this is really a secondary issue. It's not a primary issue. You know, the primary theological issues are things like Jesus died for our sins. <laughs> you know, he's the only way to heaven. Uh, there's the, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like those are primary theological issues. Secondary ones are where really godly believers can vehemently disagree uh, about it and have scripture to prove it. And there is a scriptural case to be made for strong complementarianism. There is a theological issue to be made for strong egalitarianism. And that's why it's such a debate and why it's such a controversy and why we'd like to stay away from it. And so I will just say on my website, I have a theological cheat sheet, which is really helpful if you're kind of in the midst of like, what do I even believe? Or what does my church believe? Or what are the options? Or how does it look? I tried to make a really practical handout that just sort of spells out sort of all the different options you have available to you scripturally and uh, let you sort of dive into it from there. That's amazing. So we'll make but, sure we'll link to that. Yeah. For sure. Okay, great. Yeah. It's been really helpful to a lot of people. So I think if you, if you set that theological piece aside, um, one of the things that we can really all work on is making sure that we're really clear about the roles that we welcome women into leadership. Even very conservative complementarian uh, uh, churches have a lot of great leadership roles for women. The challenge is we tend to be very loud about what women can't do. They can't be elders. They can't be senior pastors. They can't teach on the weekend that we forget there's like a thousand roles that they can do. And so I really encourage churches and even individual church leaders turn down the volume on the no's and turn up the volume on the yeses. Uh, we would love for you to be a small group leader. We would love for you to be a greeter. We would love for you to teach in children's ministry. We'd love for you to 
you know, chaperone the student ministry trip. We'd love for you to join the care team. We'd love for you to uh, teach in these ways. We'd love for you to research these things. We'd love for you to go on a mission trip. Like what are all of the ways? And for many women, we need to spell that out. We need to say on the application or on the, you know, the notice in the program, or when you speak to someone, we would love to have you as a female leader, be a part of this group. We love your skills. We love the talents God's given you. We think you have great experience. I love your heart. I love your charisma. Would you please join our team? Would you please help us be better? That changes the dialogue for a lot of women. Many, um, many women deal with what we call the sticky floor. So uh, there is kind of the stained glass ceiling, which is those uh, structures and systems that sort of block a women from growing in leadership. And those exist in the church. In the church world, we call it the stained glass ceiling. Uh, so those definitely exist. But the more powerful one is what's known as the sticky floor, which are those uh, internal dialogues women have with themselves about their inability to do things. Uh, sometimes we label these in Bible studies as like lies from Satan, because they certainly are. Sometimes it's considered gender bias. That's like an academic way of thinking about it. Sometimes it's the culture we lived in or our family of origin, those like tapes we play in our head of our mom saying, you'll never do anything. Or your dad saying, girls don't do this. Like we have those things in our mind, but they're not based on truth. They're not based on the reality of who you are. They're not based on what God says in scripture or the women we're giving th given throughout the Bible as examples for us to follow. And so if we can start to rewrite that sticky floor, we can begin to go for opportunities. We can begin to find our leadership voice and use it more actively. And for those those of us in leadership and as church leaders especially, we have the chance to sit down with a female leader and say, hey, we have this opportunity to lead the whatever team, the hospitality team or the greeter team or the fourth grade whatever, and let me tell you why I think you would be amazing at this job, right? In your mind, I know you're thinking this, but what I see is this. Mm. And bring some reframing, some God perspective, that renewing of our mind. Uh, a lot of times God's word does it, but there is a certain amount of sticky floor residue that we need God's people to speak into. And that's the person, the real live flesh and blood, especially someone in spiritual authority over me who can say, no, 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 no. I'm not only telling you can, I'm telling you, you should. I'm telling you, you are called. I'm telling you, I think God wants you to do this. And you're not going to be a disappointment to me. You're not going to be a disappointment to God. And you're certainly not going to be a disappointment to yourself. Take the step. Many, many women need that one conversation to unlock that sticky floor and to give them the courage and the perspective they need to actually step into the calling they can't see for themselves. What would you say to the women who feel the call to leadership but are struggling to break through the conversation? Mm, yeah, that is a tough one. I mean, there is definitely uh, limitations and biases, not only that we carry in ourselves, but that we experience from other people. Uh, first thing I would say is knowing who you are in Christ and knowing who you were made to be by Christ is the first and most important thing. And so that's actually my second book is a follow-up to Developing Female Leaders. It's called Find Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days. And it's really my book written to women who ask me this question all the time. I usually speak to men because those are the people I'm trying to convince to give us all a shot. Uh, but inevitably, I get a group of women that are like, wait, how do I do it? Or I've been given a chance, but I just, I feel like I should quit or I 
just, you know, I'm insecure all the time or I'm always second guessing myself or I don't want to overstep or be too much. And so um, I really kind of try to walk all of us through the process we all have to do, which is who am I actually created to be? What are my giftedness? What are my values? And how does God want to use that in the ministry and the, the experiences and the environments that he's called me to? And once we know that, like, for example, for me, um, I always like to frame this um, in our spiritual gifts because I feel like that's the most Bible-centric way. I love all the assessments. I love Strengths Finders and Myers-Briggs and DISC. I'm certified in all of those. But at the end of the day, when you want to know you're walking on God's authority, right? Because the thing that frees us from the sticky floor is when we move from man's approval to God's mm, approval. So, so I want to know what God thinks of me, not some scientific test. And so he gives me uh, you know, in First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, all the gifts of the Spirit, what are mine? He's given all, that's what he promises. When we follow him, the Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts. And I like to suggest the first two to three gifts are the most important to start with. So for me, my primary gift is administration, which means I love to bring organization and simplicity to chaotic things right? I love to reallocate, re-resource. Uh, I'm a teacher is my second gift. So I love to explain things in a way that's practical and easy to understand. And number three, I'm an encourager. I love to bolden you up. I love to help you see a better future. I want to like give you a little inspiration to go do the things. So if you think about that administration, uh, teaching and encouragement, that's what I do. That's what I've written my books around. That's what I'm doing in this conversation, right? I'm trying to bring some clarity to the, to this overwhelming topic. I'm trying to give you a couple practical steps and then hopefully I'm inspiring you a little bit to find a little bit more courage because that's who I am. So everywhere I go, I bring those three things. I don't try to have huge gifts of mercy. I wish I had them. I don't, I've got great skills. I mean, I'm a mental health nurse. I've done grief counseling. I know crisis intervention. I have skills, but it's not who I am um, all the time. It's who I can be when I need to be. And so I love those skills, but I will organize the mercy moment, like, because that's who I am. <laughs> and so if I know who I am, I don't need to apologize for that because then I'm apologizing that God made me wrong, but I'm going to always bring these things now with the restraint of the Holy spirit, right. With the self-control and the fruit of the Holy spirit, I'm not going to reorganize everyone's kitchen. I'm not going to reorganize every person's <laughs> church. Although every time I visit one, I want to, those aren't my roles, right. But those are the things I'm going to naturally see. And just because I see them doesn't mean I'm called to act on it. So we all have our gifts, but we have to learn how to submit them to the leadership of the Holy spirit. When we know that that gives us a lot more power of how to show up in certain situations and what we shouldn't do, we get ourselves into trouble trouble when we speak into things we're not called to, or we don't speak into the things we are called mm, to. So, so knowing your gifts and knowing where you're called to the people you're called to are the two most important aspects to be able to start walking in that calling and saying no to everything else. Mm, this really reminds me of a conversation we just had on the podcast a few weeks earlier. Um, I'll link to that in the notes because I'm not sure what episode it was. But talking about the keys to resilience, and the, one of the one of them is knowing who you are. You can be resilient and get through difficult times and not get stuck by knowing who you are and what God's word says about you. And another one, one of the other keys is boundaries. And boundaries isn't just saying no to time and people. It's also creating expectation about not allowing other people to misuse your time and not overstepping where your boundary or where your giftings and callings are. So it's so good. It's so good. I love that. I would add to, and they probably talked about this, but we have to have boundaries around our heart and our energy mm -hmm. also, because I think sometimes we give our heart away to too many people 
um, and we give our energy away. So it's not always about our calendar. It's also about where do I put my focus? Where are my thoughts going to? Am I worrying about someone? Am I ruminating about something? Or am I on target? Am I filled with faith? Am I doing the things God's called me to and letting go of the things he hasn't? Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you tell us, you talked about your book, Finding Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days. That is the one that is the newest one, isn't it? Yep. It just came out a few months ago. Fantastic. Where can people get that? So it's on Amazon. And we also have a website, findyourleadershipvoice.me, findyourleadershipvoice.me. And I have a whole bunch of downloads and freebies and stuff. Um, I talk a lot about assertiveness in your leadership, how not to be passive, but not also overly aggressive, but that healthy, godly assertiveness. Uh, We have a free leadership dashboard that walks you through all the components so that you can confidently walk in your calling about giftedness, about values, about uh, people you're called to, about your identity in Christ kind of walks you through that step. So there's several resources. I really recommend people check it out. Yeah, it's so good. And so people who are listening, who are wanting to up their game in leadership, or I have a, I have a coach every, I think everyone needs to have a coach or a counselor in their life if they're pursuing um, leadership or, or goals. If they are interested in connecting you in a way, do you offer that? I do. I do a lot of coaching and uh, a lot of coaching for men and women, but female leaders in particular, I think um, are especially hungry right now because we are navigating a lot of different things. And I think when you are a leader who is, who is a person of faith, and you're wanting to lead really well, whether it's in ministry or it's in business or just in your own life. And you're also wanting to fulfill your calling. Like those things can sometimes feel like they compete. Mm. My style of coaching is very holistic. I feel like we have long lives on purpose. I believe we're in a season where we want to maximize the moment, but I also feel like we can burn ourselves out if we're trying to be all things to all people and answer all of our callings at one time. And so how do we pace ourselves with the expectancy that God is going to give us enough time to do everything he's called us to. So anyone who's interested in some coaching there, um, we do have a life plan, uh, personal retreat that kind of kicks that off that I would recommend people look at also. And all of that's on my website, katiecole.com. Awesome. So knowing what you know today, what would you tell your past self when you were in those early years at the church, navigating your role and your skills and your giftings? What would you tell your past self if you could send yourself a letter or a voicemail? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, I think actually my answer really informs my style of coaching now, which is I would tell myself to slow down just a little, not a lot, but slow down just a little. Uh, just a little to nurture the wholeness of my life. I think I had um, a lot of natural energy. I had a lot of uh, drive to uh, make a difference in the kingdom. Uh, Plus I had sort of a theology that like uh, Jesus could come back at any moment, which is true. However, now that I'm 30 years later, I'm like, well, it wasn't as true as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And so I I wish I had... um, taken a little bit longer perspective and just slowed down enough to nurture all the aspects of my life that would be important to me over my whole life. I wish I would. And again, I'm not saying that I should have backed down a lot, but maybe 10 or 20% instead of doing 110%. Why don't I just do 95, which is a good solid a even maybe 90, which you still, it's the same GPA, right? (laughs) If I can get away with a 90 or a 91 instead of 110, that is a lot of time and energy and resources for friendship, for hobbies, for health, for, um, 
experiences outside myself. I was, I was good at maximizing things. I wasn't always good at sitting in some spaces that nurtured other parts of my soul. And so I think I had to play some catch up of things that had gone dormant um, for a little bit. And I would love to help. Uh, I wish I would have not uh, prevent, like prevented that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that you're doing in the kingdom. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard today into action. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget, if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for connecting and take care. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted women in the workplace and how organizations are able to, like, that is really relevant right now. I'm hearing a lot from my friends and and, in the community about how um, women are struggling. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? COVID has been hard on everyone. So I certainly don't want to minimize it in this. I try to never talk about men and women and their differences as against one another. I think it's more just an opportunity to find out how we can help each other and sort of stay in the game together. And so that's really the heart at which I talk about these things. But the research is really clear, uh, especially now that we've been into it a year or two, that we've got some really clear uh, research-based results on how this is impacting people and men and women have some really different experiences. And when I talk about this, it's really not about gender. It's usually more about life stage. So oftentimes we're talking about parenthood um, or caregiving roles, which in our culture tends to fall the majority of that to women. So when I talk about men and women, uh, that's what I mean. Usually uh, primary caregivers. A lot of times it's around parenthood, but again, families, um, parents, even neighbors, churches, most of our volunteers in churches are women. And so even keeping our nonprofits going tend to be female oriented in its leadership and impact. Uh, And women have really felt the brunt of COVID more significantly than the guys do. And uh, if you think about children who are oftentimes still being educated at home or are behind one, sometimes two grade levels right now, usually it's mom trying to uh, shore up those things or at least carrying what we call the mental burden of it. So dad might carry math and she might carry language arts, but the burden of their kid failing classes or the one who's communicating the most with the school or arranging for the tutors or making sure you have an extra snack to go to the aftercare where all the tutoring happens. Most of that is falling to women. So their mental workload has increased significantly and has not really gone down, even though schools have opened up and communities have opened up and we have the vaccine, uh, their mental workload and the backlash from that has not let up. On the work um, itself, uh, for virtual workspaces, women have tended to thrive with a more flexible, um, juggling kind of mindset. Uh, Most women uh, carry a lot. And so the more they can sort of use or reuse their time wisely, they tend to maximize that, especially female leaders. And so in some ways, remote work has really benefited women. But as the world has opened back up, we're seeing that go away. Many organizations are requiring women to come back into the office, which I certainly am not giving a judgment of either of those. But I am saying that when their uh, workload at home is not let up, um, that has been an extra thing now to add is that not only are we all not home together where they're thriving, but now they're still carrying that burden and being separated from their families. Um, health wise, women are experiencing a lot more stress, a lot more demand, 
a lot less sleep. Uh, and many women are dropping out of the workforce. We've had millions of women step out of their jobs um, because of the demands on themselves. We have a lot of people reorganizing their lives around COVID anyway. We're calling it the great resignation. Uh, pe lots of people are leaving. Lots of people are repositioning. Women are tending to do it for their own mental health and the health of their families. They're not doing it to pursue a dream. They're not doing it to recalculate their life. They're doing it out of survival. And I think that's the biggest shame. And the thing that most of us have a great opportunity to step into. This is this is a temporary situation. We are in a new normal, but the crisis of this and the lingering crisis that many working moms are experiencing is a temporary situation. And so those of us in leadership really have an opportunity and I think a responsibility to go above and beyond to have some good leadership conversations with women who are trying to pull back, asking for demotions, wanting to go part time, wanting to quit their job, that we don't just let them leave without at least a good leadership conversation that says, what can we do to help you through this time? Mm -hmm. First of all, reminding women that this is temporary. Uh, number two, reminding them that they're valuable on the team. And if they need to make some adjustments, most especially high capacity female leaders have overworked themselves before COVID and have been holding themselves to that high standard during COVID and their boss is blown away by their work and they feel like they're failing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's a matter of writing the conversation and saying, listen, you've been knocking it out of the park for six years. You taking a year where you just do a normal person's workload, which is about half of what you've been doing, it, you completely have my permission to do that. I want your family to win. I want you to win. I want you're still worth every dollar if you do less work. You're you are overperforming anyway. Um, if you want to go part time for a season, if you want to take three months, that's what FMLA uh, benefits are for. Like there are many ways to to go about getting through a tough time. Um, I don't know any men who have chosen to completely quit their career because of COVID. All of them have either figured out a way to negotiate it or just given themselves, you know, kind of a uh, an ability to do something differently. But many, many, many women that I coach and that I know are stepping out and basically stopping their career for a temporary situation. And I just think we have opportunity to salvage that more than give up on it. I love that. It's so good. I hope the people who are listening found hope in that. Mm. 